tonight we want to jump into eternity. And this is going to be for the first lesson of this. And so uh, we've gone through already, and if you haven't done, we did four questions that people have about end times. And we hit those things about what will the end times be like for the saved, for the lost. Uh, are we living in end times? Things like that. So we jumped into a lot of those if you've not uh, uh, sat down and watched those, you can go back and watch those and kind of fill in the blanks because there's some of the things I'm going to come to and be like, I'm not going into this because we've already done that. And so and if you weren't part of that, you can go back. But we discussed the rapture. We discussed the seven years of tribulation. We discussed the Antichrist. We, we discussed the mark of the beast. We went through all those things. And then we come to the end of the book of Revelation and we read of the uh, marriage supper of the Lamb. And then right after the marriage supper of the Lamb in, in, uh, in the book of uh, Revelation chapter 19, we find the celebration with them and then they come back and that's the battle of Armageddon. So the battle of Armageddon is almost the transition from where we're going to be from the past to where we're at now leading up to this point. But I would like to read that just for the sake of flow, for the sake of connecting the dots. So take your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. We're going to read some verses in this, and then we're going to go to chapter 20, and we're going to go verse by verse from 20, 21, and 22 over the next few weeks. And as we go through those, just like I'm going to do tonight, I'm going to go back and fill in some of the blanks for explaining some of these aspects of the end times when it comes to some of the judgments, when it comes to the millennial reign, when it comes to um, heaven and hell and these other things that are mentioned in this passage. So, uh, at the second coming of Christ, Jesus returns to the earth, and we are with him. So just kind of give you an idea of what we're looking at. There is no battle. Jesus comes in and just wipes it out at the end. This battle of Armageddon, or the close of this, reads like this. So we're in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He that sat upon it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were the flame of fire, and his head were many crowns. And he had written, and he had the name written, which no man knew but himself. And he was clothed in a vest, uh, with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of Life, which is the power and the authority that he comes. And I even think that is something to grab a hold to, understanding the power and might that God returns to is the same power that we have to preach on Sunday. It is the Word of God. And his mouth goeth forth sharp sword, and he should smite the nations, and shall rule over them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress, and the fierceness of wrath the Almighty God. And he hath in his vesture, and on his thigh, a name written, King of kings, and the Lord of lords. So this is so powerful when we get to this, because this is the close. That's the battle of Armageddon. Everything is wiped out. Everything is over at that point. But then we start the millennial reign. And that's where I want to get into with this, because that is such a big subject that has so many question marks in our, in our hearts and minds. It's not one of those things, if you were to go up to the average person and say, explain to me the millennial reign of Christ. You say, first of all, I don't get it. Why, why is there even a millennial reign of Christ? Why do we get to the end of the Bible or we get to the end of time and God says, ah, I'm going to interject one more thousand years of doing something different before we switch over. So it's a little different. And so from there, we get into the great white throne judgment, lake of fire, new heaven, new earth. And we're asking the questions as we get those, what will it be like? I mean, what will it be like? When we get to heaven, 
What's going to be like? And we're going to answer some of those questions. And will we know each other? Will we be married in heaven? Will our kids know? Do the people in heaven, you know, have physical bodies? And we know that they eat. And there's so many questions that people have about heaven. I want to hit those things as we go through. Revelation doesn't cover all those. But then we can point back from certain verses to fill in the blanks with the doctrinal study as we get to those. And so let's start in Revelation chapter 20. And uh, we're actually kind of starting with the doctrine or a definition or an explanation of Satan is what we're doing at the beginning of this. And he said, And I saw an angel come down from heaven having a key of the bottomless pit and had a great chain in his hand. Now this is an unnamed angel that is coming down. The Bible doesn't describe who it is. But I think it is cool because of the fact is when we're describing the close of Satan's rule on the earth and what he did through the book of Revelation... We get to this passage that God just demonstrates his power over Satan. And I think that is so important for us to understand because sometimes we have this mindset that it's good versus evil and there's this struggle going on. Don't get me wrong when it comes to good versus evil in us. The Bible says that we wrestle or we struggle not against flesh and blood. That is a struggle. When it comes to the authority of God versus Satan, there is no struggle. Does everybody get that? There is no struggle. Let me demonstrate and point that out as we go through this. So he came down from heaven, from the kingdom of God, representing his authority of came. So now I'm coming here, I'm representing the God Almighty. He had the key to the bottomless pit. Now the key represents authority. And we see this mentioned a few times in the book of Revelation. See, death and hell had control and rule and reign over us. That's why the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. It was just the payment of sin. There's no way around that. Your payment of sin is death. And nothing can stop that. But then we get to Revelation 1.18. And you don't have to turn there. I'll have this on the screen. It says, I am he that liveth and was dead. So Jesus said, yeah, the wages of sin was death. But then we have the gospel story. Jesus came, died on the cross to do what? He He lived and he was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. So that's Jesus conquering death. The resurrection is going to be mentioned here in a minute. But the resurrection wasn't just the power that God did to demonstrate Jesus coming out of the tomb. That was just part of it. We experience the resurrection of Jesus Christ as well. We don't have the the chains of death holding us back anymore. It's not like that. Because the Bible says and finished and says amen and have the keys of hell and death. You think about what Jesus is saying at the beginning of Revelation. Let me just declare as he's going through this. He was holding it up saying, I have the keys. I have the authority. I have the power. I have the rights. I'm the ruler of this. Uh, If any of you guys have ever bought a house before you go to the closing, one of the parts of that that is really cool is when they slide the keys across. You know, it's like, okay, here's the keys to the front door or whatever. You walk out of there. Okay, I have the authority. This is mine. This is possession. That's what Jesus is doing, this key. I have the authority of, over death and hell. So in Revelation 21, or, or 20 verse 1, and I saw the angel come down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit. Literally authority over all of that. We talk about, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. You know how? Because we know the one that prevailed and the one that has the authority over that. So the great chain is, means power. That it's not only the authority of the key, but it was the chain that had the power to hold back Satan, to literally say, when I bind you, no man can unbind you, because God has the power and the authority to do that. So he comes down with this ability to control. Verse 2, 
And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Any of you guys think that all, all of a sudden the, the Bible just went very repetitive? It's like, it would be like if Morgan came up to me and says, this is my dad, this is my father, this is the one that, you know, you know she just started rattling off, this is Tony, and this is the, the, also my, my pastor in a sense. You know, she just rattled every title that she had of me. You say, why is the Bible describing Satan four different ways in one passage of Scripture? So let's break this down. So we're talking about the close of Satan's rule in this situation. So it says, first of all, and he laid hold on the dragon. Now for us, we don't sit there and really reference Satan as the dragon. It's a good thing because that's who Satan is in the book of Revelation. So if you want to go back and start looking at Revelation 12 and start breaking that down, the dragon, the dragon, the dragon, the dragon, that power that was working behind the evil of the world was the dragon. Literally says at the end of time, he says, I know that I opened the gates of hell and you were able to rule. But he declares from there, he says, the rule that he has at the end of time, God says, I'm shutting you down. Then he gives a second description that we know very well. It was the old serpent. The word old literally means the word ancient or go back or historical. So this is referencing the old serpent going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So you got to remember, he was the one that came into the scene to the very beginning and deceived. So you have the old dragon, which is the one in Revelation described as the deceiver, the power. And then you go all the way back and he starts mentioning who he's throwing or casting down. And he begins with the old serpent saying he's the same one from the very beginning. But then there's two more names. One of them is devil. This word originally means adversary or accuser. Uh, it means the great enemy. So it literally means the, the opposition of our lives, the opposition of God, the one that was behind evil, the one that we read in Ephesians chapter 6, the, the opposer. But then the second name that we read in there of old serpent, or the fourth name, I guess, uh, would be Satan, who is describing what he does. If you were to go up to somebody and say, yeah, he's a fighter, you're describing the character, but you're giving him a name. That is what Satan is in this passage. It, it literally means he is the deceiver. Satan didn't just come to fight and be opposition. It describes his character. He is a deceiver. So what he did in the book of Revelation and what he did in Genesis, it was the same thing. It's describing his character. The way that he deceived the world uh, of tricking Adam and Eve and then also what he does in the end times of giving them strong delusions. They would believe a lie and those kind of things. So you got both of those. You think about how Satan works in our world today with deception. Break it down when it comes to there is no God. Why would you believe that in, in um, creation versus evolution? When it comes to you can earn your way into heaven. Think about everything that God does or teaches. You have this counterpoint where Satan is trying to do something to give us, uh, deceive us or pull us away from the truth. So... I just want to lay this picture as we get before this. I've seen this, this meme on Facebook, okay? And it's this picture of Jesus and Satan arm wrestling. Have you guys seen this picture? You guys know what I'm talking about on Facebook. I'll just be honest. It's one of the dumbest pictures I've ever seen in all my life. And I, I will still see people share and say, share if you believe that Jesus is the winner. Okay, I, I, yeah, I was like, are you serious? Do you, do you really portray in your mind spiritual warfare is the fact that they're going head to head and, and I hope that I can do enough shares that Jesus will win. And I, I know some people do pictures like that to be funny, but I just want to read this 
and then throw this out the window with, if that's ever been something you share, please don't ever share it ever again. Okay, delete the picture, block it, whatever it is. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Think about Satan's power when we read verse 2. Think about this. He's talking about, oh, they're going head to head. Yeah, that's how it goes. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, Satan, and bound him a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loose for a little season. So let's just break that down. Here's what it said. It laid hold on him. Literally walked up, grabbed that old serpent. I love the description of that. Like, like almost like God painting it back, going back to the Garden of Eden, grabbing that serpent and said, I am tired of your junk. I'm tired of what you did. Grab that old serpent, said, bound him. Literally, you have no more authority. I shut your power down. Cast him, removed him into the bottomless pit. He, there was no struggle. Do you hear that? And God and Satan struggled for a moment, but Jesus prevailed. No, it doesn't even say. By the way, it's an angel doing this. It's like God sent somebody to do his light work. You know what I'm saying? Go, go throw him in prison. I give you all the authority to do that. that that's what's going on here. Shut him up. I, I love that. I know in that it literally like means seal the thing, but I love the phrase, he just, God just shut him up. It's what we need happen in our culture. Just shut up the mouth of Satan and set a seal on him. It's the authority of the stamp. Literally, God says, what I've done, let no man undo. Satan can't get his way out. He can't whittle his way out. There's nothing he can do. He's done. God set a seal on it and said, what I declare, there's no man that can undo that. Now, let me throw something at you that I thought was really cool. If you, lay, if, you, if you study this, to lay hold on him, bound him, cast him, shut him up, and set a seal on him, is almost a replica of what Satan did or through the Roman soldiers of Jesus Christ. They bound him, captured him, arrested him, killed him, put him in the tomb, and sealed it up. The only difference is he was three days to prove that he was dead and then he came out and nothing could stop that. And you talk about the power of the difference between there. Of, of there, 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 there is no comparison. And so this right here sets up the millennium, uh, millennial reign of Christ, the thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. And, and it says that he cast him into the bottomless pit, uh, pit and then for a thousand years. So... For now, God is doing this thing that Satan is bound and removed out of culture. He's removing the opposition. All those things that he listed out, the deceiver, the opposition, the adversary, the fighter, all those things. He said, let me describe who he is. I'm going to pull him out of the way to know that that's no longer an issue for right now. So what we have right now in a way that I would describe the millennial reign is it's almost like God is going to reboot Genesis. And, and, and I, we could go so deep in this, and there's books like this thick that you could get on this. But let me just grab your imagination and walk you through some of the details of the highlights of the millennial reign. And then at the end of it, I'm going to give you just two or three points on why. Why do that? Why, why did God say, why didn't God just come to the end of time and just send everybody to heaven and rejoice? Because a lot of times when we talk about, man, leaving here and going to heaven, we, we kind of leave the whole millennial reign out of what happens, but the Bible very clearly describes this. So during the second coming of Christ, saints come back to earth, uh, and then we see the battle of Armageddon. We see that scene that we just took place of Satan being bound, and then we begin the thousand years. Now, a thousand-year reign begins 
at the end, if we were to take math right now, and, and, and I'm not going to reteach this because this is another one of those principles we talked about. If you take all the begats in the Bible and the timelines and how long they lived and stuff like that, we're at about 2,000 years in history, or 2,000, we're about 6,000 years in history. If you add after Christ with the 2,000, then before that with the four and, and some on days and, and years that are in there. But you also know that if you go back to creation, we did this study about how there's six days of creation, but then God took the last day and he rested. It's kind of a standard of time. The number seven is the number of completion. So right now, if we're at 6,000 years, we're missing 1,000 years if, if time as a whole would be completed. But when you realize that at the end of time, God adds on 1,000 years, that would be 1,000 a, a years of peace, rest, uh, of everything that he established that he wanted to be. Second Peter 3, when you study this out, it says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this thing, that a day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. And that right there even ties it back into the Genesis account, that a day in comparison of time, to wrap this up. Second thing about this is, Christ will be king of the earth for this thousand year period. So this kingdom that he sets up, here on earth, and there's a lot of questions that we have with this, and I'll try to fill them in as we go. But the Bible says in Revelation 20, at the end of verse 4, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So we know from that that Christ is coming back to rule on the earth. And by the way, that is why at the end of Revelation, that is the second coming of Christ. What well, was the first coming of Christ? It was not the rapture. The first coming of Christ was when he came as a baby in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels, when we have that. That was the first coming of Christ. The rapture, we meet Jesus up in the air. If we get to the end, it's the second coming of Christ, and then he establishes this kingdom here on earth. So think about how all the Bible pointed to this that maybe we didn't explain. Or maybe we read this and we don't connect the dots with the millennial reign. Let me give you an example. Isaiah 9.6. You'll hear this a lot because we're about to go into the Christmas season. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it. Now we read some of those things and you're like, huh, that's kind of weird. I guess that's talking about heaven. But we don't really realize that that heaven is connected to the millennial reign of what we have in the end of Revelation. To establish it with judgment and justice and henceforth forever and ever and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You think about Luke chapter 1 verse 32. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord shall give him the throne of his father David. Now I'll explain this at the end but what God's doing through the millennial reign is he's going to fulfill what he promised to the, the, the Israelites, to the children of Israel at the very beginning. He's going to establish this. So we have all these things going on. Here's the cool thing. Are you guys ready for the cool thing? This is awesome. We shall reign with Christ during the millennium. We are going to reign with Christ on the millennium. Now I'm going to give you a bunch of verses to explain this. So during this time, we're asking the question, where are the saints of God during this thousand years? So think about this. Where were we before this? So I'm going to go back to the beginning of Revelation, and I'm going to read some verses here too. And from Jesus Christ, who the faithful witness and begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, verse 6, and hath made us kings 
and priest unto God his Father. To him be the glory and dominion and forever. Amen. Have you ever wondered, and I did a message a year or two years ago on that principle of being kings and priests. About our position in Christ and the, the, the royalty or the inheritance that we have in God. of How cool and powerful this is. But it says in this passage that he has made us to be kings and priests unto God his Father. Then in Revelation 4, and we're not going to get into this. You can go back and watch some of this. We see the crowns, the robes, the worship, the praise, the redeemed of God with him at the throne. Then we witness later the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19 verse 9. And he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the celebration of heaven. You know why? Because we are the bride of Christ. You know where the bride and what the bride of the king does? We rule alongside of the king. It's so powerful of this. And the Bible is filled with this explanation of this. And these are true sayings of God. If we're already reading, if we go through this, after the marriage supper of the Lamb, then Jesus comes back in Revelation 20, verse 4, uh, and it says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them was judgment giving unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded unto the witness of Jesus and the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads, and on their hands, and they received and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So here's the redeemed of God, not only the redeemed of God from before because we came back with him, not only the redeemed of Christ as the bride of Christ, but then we also have those that went through the tribulation period that, that accepted Christ, that rejected the mark during that time, and it says that they will serve or reign with Jesus a thousand years. Not live, but reign. Verse 5, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. And this is the first resurrection. So those that were dead, I'm talking about those that were in hell. And remember, when we talk about the resurrection being redeemed out of that. You realize that this is where it comes into that when Jesus came and he's preaching the message, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. When I accepted Jesus Christ, I received the resurrection. Literally, when I die, I live. For me to die is gain. Those, all those principles that we have. So the lost are not present here. They will be. Flip up just a couple of verses. I'll show you. They end up coming there. And it's at the, at the judgment of Christ. And he says in verse 12, And I saw the dead small and great saying before God. So then God literally reaches down from heaven or hell. Those that are dead brings them out. The resurrection that they receive there to be judged and then cast into the lake of fire. So it's this powerful demonstration that the fact that the Bible says the dead are not here. The millennial reign has nothing to do with the lost. Has everything to do with the saved. Has everything to do with his children. Has everything to do with those that went through the tribulation period and did not cave in to the mark of the beast. So, and the reason being is because they never trusted in Jesus Christ who was the resurrection and the life. And it says, uh, Revelation 20 verse 6 is speaking about us. Blessed and holy is he that took his part of the first resurrection. That's us. Man, we received the first resurrection because we received Jesus Christ, who came and conquered death. And such the second death have no power. So at the end of time, when, when he says, and he throws them into the lake of fire, and this is the second death, we don't have to worry about that because we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've been saved from that. They shall be priests of God and Christ. And shall reign with him a thousand years. Now I want to just connect that. Because sometimes we'll be like. Well, wait a minute. I didn't think the millennial reign was all about us ruling with Christ. 
Let me, let me just go through scripture and then I'll start popping things in and you'll be like, okay, so we've been hearing about this for years. I just never put those connections together. It says in Romans 8 verse 17, it says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. As the Bible describes of our connection to Jesus Christ when it comes to that. Verse uh, Luke 22 verse 30, that ye may eat and drink at the table of my kingdom and sit on thrones. You say, I've read that. I just didn't make that connection that that's what he was talking about, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Revelation 2.26, when he's talking about the churches. And he that overcometh and keepeth my words unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule with them in a rod of iron. Okay, let's keep going. Revelation 5.10, when we see the demonstration of heaven. And he had made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Look at Matthew 25, verse 23. His Lord also said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. What comes next? I will make thee a ruler over many things. Have you ever wondered why we say that? I mean, when we read those verses, and we do, it says, Thou hast been faithful over the little things, I'll make you ruler over many. And you're sitting there going, oh, I thought we were going to be in heaven. I thought that was all streets of gold and harps and singing and praising God. So why does it say that we shall rule? And if you keep, and I could go on literally for an hour, reading verses after verses after verses that the Bible talks about that we will inherit this position with Jesus Christ. And that doesn't make us equals with God whatsoever. No, I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying the Bible says that we are joint with the kingdom of God. We are the bride of Christ. We are made kings and priests. We shall rule with him. All these different things that come out of here. The next question is, who are we ruling over? Who is actually living through the, uh, the millennial reign? We will rule over those that are still alive at the end of the tribulation period. So I'm not, I'm not going to go through uh, the tribulation period about exactly who gets saved and not saved and things like that. But we do know they're in the tribulation period that God is going to show mercy on the Jews and for anybody that will listen. Now we explain very clearly the opposition, the lack of the presence of the church. There is extreme opposition for that. So if anybody has it in their mind, well, I've got that second chance. If, if, if I, I, I wasn't saved in the rapture, man, I would just cry out to God. It's the strong delusion, the, the deception, the rule of Satan, the gates of hell literally being open and ruling on the earth. All those things that are happening, there will be, it's not going to be this great revival like a lot of people would think. But there's the two witnesses. The Bible talks about uh, the, the, the 144,000 Jews and the Jews and the revival that they have with that. And so they will have children, those that go through that period of time that survive at the end of the tribulation period going to millennial. Because over the next thousand years... They're going to have children who have children who have children who have children, children. So you have these generations that are going to have, that are going to live in this established kingdom in the millennial reign. So what would it be like? I mean, here we are, God establishing his throne. We're talking about the reestablishment of the kingdom that he had. We're ruling with God. What are we going to do? I mean, all these different things. So I've already explained that the description that we have that probably would grab our attention the most would be to understand that God is taking it almost back to what it was in the Garden of Eden. You think about what even what God did in the Garden of Eden. This was his intention of this. He said in Genesis 1.26, And God said, Let us make man in our own image after our likeness. To do what? Have you ever thought about what? What was our job in there? And let them have dominion. 
It literally, even at the beginning of time, the, the idea was for us to rule with Christ. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over creeping things which creep upon the earth. From the very beginning, it was established of that. So when Adam sinned, the entire world and the entire creation fell into this curse of death. So what is God doing during the millennial reign? He's pulling out the curse and putting us back into it. And that's what's happening during the millennial reign. The, 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 the trees won't die, the grass won't die, all these other things. We have these physical improvements to the body during the millennial. Listen to this. And I'll, I'm just going to read verses of what the Bible says that's going to happen. And there's, there's hundreds of verses. And it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and they shall, the lame man leap as the heart or the deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing, and the wilderness shall break out in the streams in the desert. And it talks about that no one will be blind, no one will be deaf, no one will be lame. No, there, there won't be anyone that has these ailments in their bodies or anything that, because the curse is gone. So we're reestablishing the earth of what God had from the very beginning. Notice the changes that the Bible says. In Isaiah 35, 1, it says, The wilderness and uh, the places shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. There won't be desert. God takes away the curse. The Bible says in Isaiah 35, verse 7, that, the, that there will be no parched ground. It, it's not going to be dry. There won't be famines or desert or any of those kind of things. The Bible says in Isaiah 35, verse 6, that there will be deserts and water, or, or waters in, in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And uh, it says, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. Uh, look at the condition of nature. Uh, the Bible talks about in Isaiah 65, verse 20, and there shall be no more thence an infant of days or an old man that hath not filled his days. Talks about just this long life. If you go back to the beginning of Genesis before the curse began to take place in the earth and have its effect, they lived long upon the earth. That was a long time. But because of the curse and everything that happened to the world, all that changed. Now we know, we sing the songs about the lion and the lamb. That's another depiction that we have Isaiah eleven six 6 talks about wild animals shall be tamed. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leper shall lie down with the kid. Now, you guys know I don't like cats, but I think I would love a pet lion. I think that would be cool. And, and I think I can claim that, and I think I could make Morgan happy at that point. But I don't know what that litter box would look like, but maybe that's part of not having to deal with that during the curse. It says that wild animals shall be like toys and pets for children. It says, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and the child shall lead them. So literally that ex explanation is not a, a joke. And, and, I, and I know you've seen the pictures and the depiction of a lion and a child laying down next to it and stuff like that because the curse is gone. So I, I know we dream about heaven and we dream about all these things, but a lot of times we don't think of this aspect of what is to come. And, and I'm not making this up. This, this is straight out of scripture, but honestly... It's not something that we sit around talking a lot about. The fact that Jesus Christ comes to rule, God has this establishment. That, now, let, let me explain. And, and there's some of these things that people like, I'm trying to put this together. The fact that we're kings and priests, that's something we have that authority, but also the priest representing that we communicate, teach, I'm not exactly sure. And, and to be honest, there's a lot of mysteries in, the, in these passages. And of course, if you've ever done anything with Revelation, you already know that. There's a lot of mysteries of this. But what's cool about it is the Bible gives us enough to tease our imagination. 
a thousand years of all these things going on. So I passed something that I wanted to explain to you guys too. I don't, I don't know where to put it. Um, what about us? I'm, I'm going to give this, and I don't know if Richard has, Matthew 22, verse 30. What about us? During that time, we are not like those that stayed. And, and, I, and I don't want to lose people when it comes to this. So we, we are saved. We are raptured. We're in heaven. We're in glorified bodies. I will explain what a glorified body is in later lesson when it comes to this, and we'll take it all out of Scripture. Then we come back with him on the earth. So we're not the same anymore when it comes to that. The Bible says this about those that are resurrected. That is us through the rapture, through what Jesus Christ did. Matthew 22, verse 30, For the resurrection they neither marry nor are they given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. So I'll explain this later when it comes to us in heaven and what happens is we're not married. I don't know if some people would be like, yes, you know, but some people are like, man, that stinks. But, but I, I, I can tell you that we're not married in heaven. And at this point, we have a different role that we play. People have asked, will we know each other? Will we be friends? Will we remember our church family? We'll answer all that stuff later because we're not there yet. Uh, but it's really cool that we, pull, we have a different position than them. So that's important for us to understand because there's some things that happen at the, millennial, at the end of the millennial reign that doesn't affect us. And that is uh, uh, the, the, how Satan is loosed at the end. So we have this thousand years of the rule. We have this beautiful earth. We're enjoying everything that we wanted to enjoy. There's no more curse of that. We're ruling with Christ. The world is being repopulated. Uh, Jesus reestablished his kingdom with Israel uh, the Bible talks about him ruling on the throne of David and with David. The Bible talks about uh, amazing things with that. And if we were to bring in the whole doctrinal study and combine what God does with Israel during that time, we could probably go four or five more lessons just on that. But I know that for most people, we're digging into what affects us directly. So at the end of it, Satan will be loosed at the end. Now this is crazy because the Bible says that God loosed him and sealed him for those thousand years. But for a season of a period of time, we don't know how long that is, God commands and opens that back up to, to let him back out. Now, in our minds, we're thinking that is just absolutely crazy. If I have Satan bound and he's out, I, I'd be like, just lock him up, throw him away the key. Why, why would this even be there? So we've got to understand what's going on. Verse 7, when the thousand years was expired, Satan shall be loose out of prison. And shall go out and deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, which is the two mortal enemies of them. He rises back up to gather them together to battle. Isn't that funny how Satan, any time that he gets a hold of something, from Adam and Eve, there's only two, but he got them arguing and then, and then and cast out of that. And then if, if you see what he does in, in Revelation, when he comes out in Revelation, he just turns the whole world upside down until they, they get to the battle of Armageddon. And, and then he's loosed out again and, and at the very end of the thousand years. And what does he do? He goes out, deceives, and pulls people right into fighting again. You, you want to see Satan at work is, is when, you, when you see division of people going at it. And that's why I think that we have to be so heavenly minded and biblically sound, especially during this time of election, because all of a sudden we, we have so many fists flying and people being, and I'm not saying, and when I say things like that, people have it in the back of their mind, like, are you saying we shouldn't take a stand? Absolutely, all day long. Yes, 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 stand for what's right. But you can stand for what's right and still love your brother. 
You can stand for what's right and still love your family. You can stand for what's right and, and, and still be gracious and kind. And, and, and when we were doing wrong and we were lost in our sin, the Bible says that for by grace are you saved. That literally grace meaning that you got a whole bunch that you definitely did not deserve or earn. But God gave it to us anyways. So Satan's always in the middle of fight. And it says in verse 9, And he went up to the breath of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and beloved city. And fire came down from heaven, out of heaven, and devoured them. So let me wrap this up, uh, uh, what's happening at the end. Satan will do what he does best. He's going to go out and deceive. It's always, been, it's always been about a choice. It's always been about a choice. From the very beginning, do you understand it would not be a relationship with God based on love if it wasn't based on a choice? From the very beginning, there's the tree of the knowledge of fruit of good and evil. And God says to him, of that tree don't eat, and that tree you can eat of. Don't eat, eat of. God commanded Adam. God had the order of what he wanted. God made the commandment and said, don't eat. Now, don't you think life would have been a lot simpler if we would have just not had that second tree? It's not a choice. It's not a choice. Anybody that's married in this room, I, I don't think you had an arranged marriage, but you fell in love and you had the choice to, to love them, to walk onto a stage, to grab them by the hand, for better, for worse, till death do you part. It would love is a choice. It's based on what God gave us. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. It was a choice. Have you ever thought why God had Jesus come to earth with the 12 disciples and one of them deceived them and went the other way? It's a choice. God didn't make them, God didn't force them to follow, love him. It was a choice. Love is a choice. On the cross, Jesus dies there. What a depiction of salvation. One on one side, I don't believe you are the son of God. If you are, save thyself. The other one says, will you forgive me and let me be with you in paradise? The very image of Calvary was the fact that Jesus came for God so loved the world that he died on the cross and gave his only begotten son. He demonstrated his life. And then on both sides of the cross was two other crosses of people that were lost and desperately wicked and, and lost in their sin. And they, they, they didn't deserve anything. They were on their deathbed. They, they had no service to give God. They had nothing to offer God whatsoever. And today you'll be with me in paradise. It's a choice. So at the end of this, God literally opens it back up because now you have a thousand years of people being born and uh, the generation's coming in and he just says, here, I, I've loved you all this time. I've given you everything. It's a choice. And even after that time, he still makes it a choice. You know the crazy thing? He goes out and deceives and the Bible says that thousands as the sands of the sea gather for this battle. That's what he does. Every time Satan's involved in something, you say, how would that be possible after you living a thousand years under the reign of Christ and everything they gave? I guess we'd have to ask the same thing to Adam and Eve. When you had everything, you had everything. You had perfection. You had walks with God. You had everything. And they still chose Judas, walking with Jesus, watching the miracles, being hugged and embraced by Jesus, having your feet washed by Jesus. It just shows you the depravity of man. 
It absolutely shows us the depravity of man. So at the end of this, God gives another opportunity for choice. And they go to war, but there is no war. Because the Bible says that after that, when they make the choice, God just, and the fire comes down and consumes them in the spot. And it's over. So let me end with this and just say, why a thousand years? Why not just take us into heaven? Let me give you three uh, reasons and then, then I'll be done. Uh, number one is to fulfill his promise with Israel. You think about that, that, that they broke their promise and, and, and wanted a king over Israel and God promised that he would be their king and all these other things that had, they made bad choices. But Jesus still promised to be that. When he came back, they rejected him as the king of Israel. They even mocked him and put on the cross. It was like, here's the king of Israel, king of the Jews. And they mocked him and he died with that sign above his head. He comes back and he is the king of Israel. He is the king of Israel. But the difference is, it's not a crown of thorns and he's not walking in with palm branches and a donkey. He comes in on the white horse with his army and he comes in and, and he conquers and he takes over and he is the king wearing the crown. And it's so much different. He comes as the conquering king. But by the way, that's what the Jews were looking from the beginning. But there's all sorts of promises that he made to the Jews and he fulfills that through the millennial reign. Number two, it will reveal the, the man's depravity. See, it's amazing how in life we blame other people for things all the time. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent from the very beginning. And at this time, we, we were just proving that without God, we can do nothing. That we need God. And as soon as man tries to do things in their own strength, every single time we fail and we falter and we fall apart. So what does God do? He pulls out Satan and gives man another chance. And what do we have again? They still choose wrong. Have you ever thought, man, if we could go back to the Garden of Eden, we wouldn't do that again? Well, we, we proved that wrong in the millennial reign. It's still the same thing. And so it, before the great white throne judgment happens, which is where the very next verses that we're about to read next time we get together, you're standing before God and it could have been like, well, if I would have known more, if I would have had another chance, God says, no, I, I, I proved even through the millennial reign that your heart's desperately wicked and you, you have to acknowledge that you need God. And so it was, it was a choice. And, and the Bible says, and even Revelation 20, verse 10, at the end of that, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. So what did he do again? He deceived them. That's why we have to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. We have to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh, because we have a, an adversary, the devil, who is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is a deceiver. He is a liar. He's the father of all lies. So that's why it's so important for us to tune into this. And it's just, it's just explained even more through this. And at the end, we see it will prove the, the, the eternal depravity of Satan. Because Satan was wicked when he was thrown out. God told him, I will crush your head in Genesis. I think it's 3.15. Uh, God proved himself at the end of Genesis or at the end of the Gospels. And then in Revelation, he captures him. When Satan gets out, you know what he does again? He goes right back to his filthy self. And that time Satan throws, or God throws them into the lake of fire. Verse 10, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire of brimstone. And we'll stop and explain that. And the beast and the false prophet are, and the tormented day and night forever and ever. That should just send chills down our spines. When the Bible talks about 
John 3.16 shall have everlasting life. When the Bible talks about something being forever, when we talk about the word eternity, man, that should capture our minds of what we're talking about. It never stops. It's never over. Never, ever, ever over. And shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, that's when we were talking about the dead that was there. Now they're pulled out of hell and they're brought in at the end of millennial reign. Small and great, stand before God and the books are open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. Those verses is what we're going to jump into next time we meet to talk about this. The millennial reign is powerful. It's, 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 it's a mystery. It's, it's incredible of what God does in our lives, what he is offering, the, the reward. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou been faithful over little things. I'm going to make you ruler over many. You're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. We're, 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 we're priests and kings and all these things that he's promised that's going on with this. Man, know who you are and the calling that God's had on and know the anticipation of what's coming next.